You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 87. Today, I talk with Shauna Samuel. She's an MBA, and she talks to us about perfectionism and CEO mindset. Don't forget to head to bosssurgery.com, where you'll find a link to get my book, Become the Boss MD, Success Beyond Residency. These are lessons we were not taught in residency. Also, Everything is a Negotiation Coaching Group for Women Surgeons starts on Wednesday. Also, that link is found at BossSurgery.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a very special guest. This is Shauna Samuel. She is from the corporate world. She has an MBA. She had a corporate job in marketing. She now is the CEO of The Mental Offload, and she is helping fellow perfectionists overcome their obstacles to be successful in business. I've known her for three years now. She was an obvious choice for me and a problem that I've had most recently, which is how do we transition from being the surgeon in our business to the surgeon on our business, because we really are not taught a lot of these business mindset aspects and how to transition in our career. So we don't just continue the hustle of, I do the cases, I get the money. At some point, our careers naturally transition to something different. So I decided to call in an expert on this. So Shauna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy. It is a pleasure to be here with you. And I'm just so impressed with the work that you're doing to really talk about the business of surgery. I think the conversation you're having here is really, really important, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I mean, we didn't even know that we were supposed to be having this conversation, which is where I think that we've gone awry is that we're like, I've succeeded and it feels like something's wrong and I don't understand what the, the, and we did not realize that this is a natural transition in our career. And of course, you know, we're not in residency anymore. No one's telling us how to do this. And so we do have to find a framework for doing so. So first though, Tell us a little bit about yourself. How has your personal career evolved? Yeah. So as you mentioned at the start of the episode, I really come at this from the business world. I did my MBA a couple of decades ago now at Yale and spent about two decades in corporate Fortune 500 world working in the US and in Europe. And Basically, what I would say when I started my career, I felt super ambitious. I was that like stereotypical go-getter, like ready to go out and make a big mark in the world. And so I went and I collected the Ivy League degrees. I went and worked with Nobel Prize winners, went into big name corporate jobs. And what I found, and the thing that was really disconcerting to me as I tried to climb the corporate ladder, was that I felt like the main or most efficient way to kind of break through that glass ceiling was to try to round off all the rough edges of my personality or how I presented things. And 
for a while that worked. It helped me to get ahead in a world that, frankly, still is quite biased against a number of different groups. But it came at an incredible toll for me. It was exhausting to feel like I had to police myself all the time and monitor what I was saying, how I was saying it, what I wore. <laughs> so this drive to be really great at what I was doing ended up starting to like eat me away from the inside and ended up burning me out as I was trying to climb the corporate ladder, which is how I got into coaching, right? Because I really took a step back and thought about, wait, how do I want to show up in this world? And is there a way that I can do that without exhausting myself <laughs> in a world that that sometimes makes it more difficult for women and people of color to succeed? So that's how I came to found the mental offload and really do leadership coaching from a perspective of how do we get ahead in in a world that makes certain obstacles pop up for us. Right. And I think that you have such a great point. Your story really highlights why people become coaches is we live through the experiences and we did all the things, we did all the right things. And we see that in some ways it's a bit of a trap and it's so hard to see it and live through it and feel the pain of it and not feel compelled to help other people not fall into the same trap. Because, I mean, there is such an element of, if I do all the right things, I should be rewarded and I'm going to have what I want and everything's going to be great. And all I have to do is modify who I am and do <laughs> and recognizing we can actually be ourselves and be successful in whatever business we choose. And so a lot of these coaches that have the experience of going through all of this are the perfect people to help you not fall into those traps to that you actually can be successful and not have to to at least fall into the same traps that we did. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're 100% on point there. Those traps are, are real and they can trip us up. They can suck our time and energy, end up burning us out and taking us off a path that we really have a lot of passion for and things to contribute. And my personal mission is I want to see women achieve gender parity, gender equity in this world. And in order to do that, we need to be able to operate at our fullest and best capacity. So that's what I'm here to do. Right. And you recommended this book to me, which is unbelievably fantastic. And I never would have picked it up because I do not identify as a perfectionist at all. But, um, you know, of course, ironically, as we talked before, as I read it, I'm like, oh, okay, fine, maybe so. But this is The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, A Path to Peace and Power by Catherine Schaeffler. Let's talk about that book. Oh, my goodness. I'm loving this book so much. And I think there are two things that I would say for your audience are like really clear and key takeaways. You've already touched on one, which is that Perfectionism comes in different flavors. And there's a, let's say she even calls it the, I think, the classic perfectionist. There are five different types of perfectionists. And one looks very much like that sort of stereotype 
archetype of what we think perfectionist is. But there are four others that look very different. And what's common to all of them, no matter which flavor of perfectionism you might fall into, if if you fall into one of these, is, you know, we all experience this drive to do things really well. And it comes out in different ways, but that is common to perfectionists. We have a vision of what we want the world to look like. And perfectionists are key to actually making the world a better place because we are looking at like how much better things could be. And we're motivated to try to bring that into reality. The other thing that comes out in this book that I think is so key for anyone who identifies or think they might have a little flavor of perfectionism in there is this idea that perfectionism isn't all bad, right? Like we're so often told like, oh, perfectionists, or we tell ourselves like, oh God, I'm so perfectionistic about this stuff. And it becomes a sort of way that we flog ourselves, funnily enough, for not even being perfect enough. But what she says that I think is so important here is there is something really good about perfectionism. It can be a strength. And so when we use our perfectionism to help make the world better, to bring that vision of what could be into the world as it is now, this is a key thing that we can do and a way that we can use our drive to actually help ourselves and help others. And what we need to be careful of is letting that drive run us off the road, right? Where we start to beat ourselves up, where we start to tell ourselves that we're not good enough or start to tell ourselves that if only <laughs> this was me in the business world, if only I were saying things better, doing things perfectly, checking all of these boxes, then I would be more successful. Then I would not have this difficult person in front of me, or I would not be in this particular situation. That that running ourselves off the road is something that we can get into as perfectionists. And I think this book really helps us separate what's the part of perfectionism that we can use versus the part that's going to run us off the road. I completely agree. And she mentioned that perfectionism is a paradox, that you can never become perfect and you're already perfect. And it, it's interesting because that's where I think a lot of people struggle with is like, you know, I'm striving to be perfect, but then you also get this message is you're fine just the way you are. And, you know, recognizing that we are living in that paradox all the time and nothing has actually gone wrong, that it, it's actually okay to be perfect as we are and not have to strive or do anything else but still have the desire to want to make changes in the world that make it a better place, you know, make it a little bit more perfect. And so I, I thought her addressing the fact that we could feel both is, mm. was a really kind of a mind blowing concept for me. Oh yeah. Such a mind blowing concept. And I think especially for those who are new to the practices of coaching, that can be a really difficult tension to hold. And so one thing I encourage people to do is <laughs> it can still sometimes feel difficult for 
me when I'm thinking about myself. But one thing that we can do that I think is super helpful is just think about, for example, I'm a mom of two kids. When I think about my kids, I think they're perfect as they are. And I also would like them to pick up their own socks. <laughs> exactly. Right? So these two things could be true. And if you're not a parent, if you have pets, like think about your your dog. Your dog probably is perfect as they are. And yet there are some things that they could also probably do better to make your life a little easier. So we can see in others sometimes that these two things can be true at the same time. And then our work becomes just being able to turn that same light on ourselves. Right. And I like the idea of looking at perfectionism as sort of a continuum. And it is a strength that we have. And she mentioned the struggle of when we want to try to eradicate this because we think it's a bad thing, we're really trying to eradicate something that is a personal strength, something that is a part of us. And if we're trying to eradicate it, we're actually trying to eradicate part of who we are. And that is why it's so challenging. And so she instead offers, instead of getting rid of it, why don't we just integrate it into our life and understand it more and figuring out what's happening here rather than using it as a weapon against ourselves? Yeah. Isn't that like such an interesting way to think about it? Because especially when it comes to how we show up in the world, I think so often, not only in the realm of perfectionism, but in so many realms of our life, we think, if we could just eradicate this thing, (laughs) we would feel so much better. Life would be so much easier. And it's it can be really challenging to do. So one of the things that I do a lot of work in, I work with a lot of women in the corporate sphere in relatively demanding roles. They don't have a lot of extra time. And yet the perfectionist piece of them is really concerned with like what's going on at home, how the house looks, what's going on with their kids and you know, are their kids getting appropriate help with their homework? And it's really difficult for people to just be like, I'm just going to lower my standards. This is something that like probably no perfectionist ever (laughs) has said or wants to say. So instead of just being like, well, you just need to lower your standards and then life would be better. I think that what we need to do is how do we integrate? How do we keep some of the standards that we want, that we legitimately want to have in our lives, and also feel like we have power over what we're choosing so that it's it's not in control of us. <laughs> it's us choosing intentionally where we want to show up and how we want to show up. And give us an example of, of something that a task that you would feel like, you know, someone would say, just do B minus work, it'd be fine. And what would you take, or how would you take a different approach for someone who is a perfectionist, who wants something done, but also is potentially using this against themselves? Mm, Yeah. So I think, you know, a great example of this that comes up a lot is the level of cleanliness in the home. 
right? Because for many of us, especially, you know, if if you're doing surgery or if you are running a division of a, a major corporation, you know that the cleanliness of your home intellectually, that it's probably not the thing that you're most being graded on. <laughs> it's probably more important for you to show up well in your role at work than in your role in cleaning the home. And yet, I think it's really difficult for people to be like, I'm I'm just going to let it be a mess. I'm going to let the kids' toys be everywhere. And you know what? If I don't get to clean the bathrooms this week, not a big deal. That is really difficult for a lot of us to just let it roll off and be like, I'm going to I'm going to choose a B minus there. <laughs> so one of the things that we can do, though, is I like to just take a step back and ask the question, starting with a question that might seem really obvious, but like, why is this important to me? Is this something, and in some cases we'll notice, this is something that's really furthering a part of my mission in the world. And in some cases, it's not. <laughs> and so just by asking the question, like, why is this important to me from a very curious and non-judgmental place, not from a, oh, this shouldn't be important to me, but this really is, right? So asking that from a curious place, why is this important to me, can start to open up for us where we want to show up and how. Like, hey, if this is like, if it's really important to me to have all the toys cleaned up before dinner time, let's own that. Let's let's own that that is something that we want. And then what we can work on is developing options for how to get it done or how often to get it done. Right. It may be like, this is really important to me. And so I have some clients who are like, and so I'm going to hire some help to make sure that by the time dinner is on the table, my house looks like the tornado has passed, right? All the toys are back in the in the bins. And I have some clients who are like, you know what? Okay, this is important to me, but it's not something that I need to have done every day. Maybe it's something that I can try living with every other day or mainly on the weekends. And so by then going into that space of what are my options? Can I play around with some of them? Try them on for a little bit. Then we really take some of the self-judgment out of meeting or not meeting our own preconceived standards. Well, I think that's such a great point because, I mean, these really are preconceived standards. And I definitely see this with the house of defining why it's important, what it looks like, and what you're willing to give up to do that, which is a lot of times either time or hiring someone. It's either going to be time or money, typically, or our ability to negotiate with our kids to do that, which is a whole different topic. <laughs> but yes. I can see this in notes, too, because, you know, like when we have the idea of clinical notes the to make them perfect to the best possible standard we possibly could would take a lot of time. And so when we recognize why is it important to have this note in looking this way, what are we trying to achieve by this? 
And then what are we willing to give up to do that? Because we're not willing to give up 24 hours a day to do it. So defining that I'm going to have to give some time to do this, but is recognizing it is a decision to the amount of time that we're going to take to do something is, I think, a really good aspect of it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that that well, it's what we would call in the business world the opportunity cost, right? What will we have to give up? And so if you're putting a lot of time into notes, for example, that the opportunity cost of that might be, well, it's just time with my family. Or the opportunity cost might be like, I am not prepared for the next surgery that I need to do. There might be one of those costs that we're willing to take on and one of them that we're not at all willing to take on by making it really explicit. What do I have to give up in order to get to this next level? I think we can make such informed choices that feel really good because in some cases we're like, oh yeah, to do this to a really 10 out of 10 standard, I would have to give up something else that's really key to my mission in the world. Oh man, what a great concept. The opportunity cost. Holy cow. Because I mean, that's the reality. We think like the notes take center stage. You know, this is why it has to be perfect, but to do so is going to cost something else that also matters to us. Yeah, very key. Another mental aspect that we could look into is I loved how she phrased this too. Perfectionists never stop noticing the gulf between reality and the ideal, and they never stop longing to actively bridge the gap. And Dan Sullivan wrote an entire book called The Gap and the Gain. And so when we live in the differences between where we're at and our perceived ideal future or ideal concept, then that's where a lot of our suffering comes in. We don't look at how far we have come or what we can do. We only look at this gap between where we're at and this idealized future. And is this something that you typically see with the perfectionists that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. It's such an uncomfortable place to hang out, right? When <laughs> when you're really in that spot where you can see, oh, this could be so much better. It's not where I want it to be, or worse, I'm not where I want to be. Like that can be a very difficult spot to hang out. And I think this is something that we need to address as we're looking to kind of step up our own level of leadership when we're running, for example, our practice as a business. In my work, one of the things that we train for in the business world is what's called general management. And this is kind of, this is the highest level that you can get to in the business world. Like a CEO is a general manager, right? They they probably have an area where they've got a lot of specialty. Maybe it's finance, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's supply chain. But they at the CEO level, they have a lot of areas that they're overseeing where they're not experts. And I think what can be really tough for perfectionists is we want to know all the detail. We want to be really good at all the things. We oftentimes don't feel legitimate giving direction and delegating to other people if it's an area that we don't know inside and out ourselves. And so one of the things that can be really challenging for many perfectionists is stepping into the CEO mindset where suddenly your success 
becomes not about being able to do all the things well, but your ability to bring <laughs> bring that perfect vision into reality stems from your ability to work through other people to get it done. That's a really fundamental shift that we have to make as we start leading ourselves and leading bigger organizations as CEOs. And, you know, from a surgeon perspective, this is 100% true is, you know, our ability to succeed outside of residency is our ability to go into the operating room and to make sure that our clinic staff has supported us adequately and to make sure that the OR staff has given us the right stuff. They've ordered the right things. The equipment comes, you know, clean and not broken and the ability to get our cases done in a timely manner and making sure that the people around us are skilled. And it is literally impossible for us to do all of those things. You will drive yourself literally mad. And it comes to the fact of, you know, what got us there to that point was complete ownership, ownership of the patient, ownership of our knowledge, ownership of our skills. And then we kind of get in this job like, okay, well now your success is going to be built on your ability to getting other people to do these things, which will drive a perfectionist mad because it's, it's an impossible task. Yeah. I, I just want to take a moment to talk about that that word that you just mentioned, ownership, because I'm I'm really curious to hear from your perspective, but I know that this trips up so many in kind of stepping into bigger leadership roles, this idea that like, I've gotten where I've gotten because I've taken ownership over so much. And that ability to kind of like let go and make sure that you've got the right people in place to basically operate as you or as well as you in their own domain can be really challenging. And some some people have a lot of trouble making that shift. And so they're like, well, I can't let go of XYZ tasks. <laughs> I I would love to offload all this stuff on the other side of my medical practice, for example, but it's really really challenging when we come from an ownership mentality. Is that something that you see a lot of on your side? Oh, completely. And we operate the same way we were trained. And so when we come in and you have this sense of ownership of everything, and then you realize it's impossible to own everything and realizing you have to generate some different skill sets And that's where a lot of us are falling flat is that we don't recognize one, we don't recognize that the job that we're setting up ourselves for is impossible. You know, so first, when you realize it's impossible, then you start seeking other solutions. And then the next step, you're like, what what are these solutions? How do I get people to do what I want? (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think making that leap is so key. And why the work that you're doing here is super important <laughs> because the the challenge, and I think especially when we're trained to take ownership over everything, the challenge becomes knowing when that mode of operating no longer is helping you get ahead and has started to become basically <laughs> like a constraint on your success. Yes. And we will continue to evolve our roles too. You know, one thing that I see a lot is this whole mid-career crisis, which is essentially I'm stopping 
the hustle train and I'm getting on the you know supervisor mentor train and my job looks different than it did before. And so my definitions of success are different. And so now I'm achieving a different idealized reality than I did before. And I didn't even know that's what I was doing. <laughs> I'm laughing here because I can absolutely see it happen. And yeah, I think that there's this admirable desire to step off the hustle train. And yet, most of us have no training for how to make that happen and what we do next. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, first, it was so funny. I, there was an episode before Dr. David Keynes. He was talking about this mid-career crisis, and, and he thought it was just him. <laughs> He's like, you mean you see this? I'm like, everywhere. <laughs> But it's, it's so funny because I think it's also shrouded in shame because we don't know how to do it. Therefore, we think we're doing it wrong. Therefore, we don't want to advertise it. And it all goes back to this idea of there's this idealized version of someone in surgery and in business, and I am not this. And so I cannot possibly advertise this. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we get into, this is the, the version that the author, Catherine Schaffler, talks about is like, derailing ourselves with perfectionism. We think that the way out of this particular trap is to do all the research, to like double down on doing all the things. We start to approach our work in a way that looks like in some ways imposter syndrome. And that can leave us ironically, like we think we're digging ourselves out of the problem, but we're digging ourselves deeper because we're just expending more time, more effort, more bandwidth on trying to do all the things instead of really getting better at what we actually need to be doing, which is learning the business skills and learning the CEO skills to start to bring on a team to help us. And I love how you started talking about the CEO mindset of the skill of just asking good questions. So tell us a little bit about that skill and how do you develop it? Yeah. So I think that there are a couple ways to develop this skill. And so I'm going to give you one version of this, but I encourage everyone to just play around with this a little bit because different things do work for different people. But I think that the first step in terms of asking really good questions, you mentioned shame. And so one of the things that that works really well here is releasing some of that shame to just be like, what do I not know that maybe I would like to know? <laughs> right? mm -hmm. So like if, for example, you don't know a whole lot about business finance or bookkeeping, instead of approaching it from a place of shame and being like, I don't know this stuff. Oh my goodness. Be like, hmm, what do I don't know about this? And then the next question is, who can I tap who might know more about this? Which can be really tough for perfectionists or people you know, who come from worlds where you're expected to know everything and, and be the best. Be like acknowledging that there might be some other people out there who you can tap into who might be able to help you. That you don't have to do this 
in secret by like checking every book out of the library and <laughs> burning the midnight oil trying to study up on a subject, which served us so well getting us into a place of excellence at this stage in our career asking who else might know about this and can help me is a really good place to start. And then I think it helps to start to do a little bit of the work yourself just so that you get a sense of the flavor. But I think the final question, once you've gotten a little bit of that flavor, the final question that can be really helpful is, okay, if I, if I wanted to not do all of my, all of this myself, so if I wanted to have support, how could I set this up in a way that makes my life easier? And just giving us ourselves that permission, which especially if you've been socialized as a woman and you're in a highly demanding field, sometimes we don't give ourselves that permission to be like, how could I make this easier on myself? But I think that's a really legitimate question to ask as we're thinking about how to bring on more support, more trusted support, more expertise that can help us operate at our best. Oh, I love changing this idea of asking for help as a, is, you know, kind of a weakness and therefore like I should feel shame because I should know versus asking for help might make my life easier. Like, yes. Oh, great. There's another mind shift too. When you ask yourself, who can I tap that might know? I find a, a thought that helps me when it comes to all of medicine too, because it's impossible to know stuff anymore. Because now I finished residency in 2010. So now I know what I used to know, but now everything changes. And so now there's a whole lot that I don't know. And then there's stuff I used to know that I don't know anymore. And I don't really care about that. And so like, I really channel this thought of, I know what I'm supposed to know. So when something comes up and I'm like, I don't know that it doesn't cause a lot of drama for me because I know what I'm supposed to know. And so I think it's really like, how do we dial down that immediate? I should know this. I should be able to do this. I should be doing it and really coming up with statements that help us. So this idea that asking for help might make my life easier. And wouldn't that be great? And, you know, I can tap other people to help. I know what I'm supposed to know and I know I'm supposed to do, and I can actually let some of these things go and nothing. And that doesn't mean anything about me. So helpful. Oh, I absolutely love that. I know what I'm supposed to know. What a powerful thought that mm -hmm. is. And I think on top of that, we can start to shift really into that CEO mindset of I'm doing what helps my enterprise thrive. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? So there's this concept that I turn to a lot that's like our highest and best use. And we can't do all the things and do them all at an amazing standard. So what are the things that we are uniquely positioned to do? That's our highest and best use. So I know what I'm supposed to, to know, and I'm going to focus on doing what I'm uniquely positioned to do, that can help us remind us that, yeah, we're supposed to have a team. 
And as a CEO, we're supposed to be able to turn to others for expertise, for more skills, for additional time and bandwidth. That's the highest and best use that we can bring to the work that we do. Yes. And what used to be a strength of taking complete ownership is now a weakness that you know, if we continue along that path, we actually will, you know, either burn ourselves out or we won't achieve the standards that we want. Yeah, absolutely. So powerful. So the other aspect you mentioned was deciding when to bring in help. So when do you bring in help? When do you start realizing, okay, now is the time that I should be asking for other people to be doing things for me? So I have a particular way of approaching this. So my approach to this is that I do a quarterly audit of my business, how I'm using my time. And I'll say for me personally, and also for my clients, because so many of us are are mothers as well, it doesn't have to be only within your work. (laughs) It's time overall, including family time. I do a quarterly audit and I start to look for areas that are not contributing to the highest and best use, or frankly, just don't feel fun. Because those are the things that end up sapping our energy, sapping our time, and where if we were taking them off the schedule, we would probably be able to level up in a new more impactful, more important way. So I really recommend doing a quarterly audit. I'm a person who lives by my calendar and I even color code (laughs) in a week by week the things that I feel like are time sucks and color them in the color brown because these are tasks that are kind of poo-poo tasks in my calendar. And that's my color to recognize, oh, these are the things that during my quarterly audit, I can look and see they need to come off. Right. And you and I have the same business coach and she has that a lot of aspects of of realizing when we need help as well, which is what are the, the high impact things that are easy to do? And what are the high impact things that are hard to do? And what are the low impact things that are easy to do and the low impact things that are hard to do? And and it's very obvious then what needs to drop. Um, Then also asking yourself, what needs me specifically? And that's how I changed my surgery practice. It was hard to give up some things that I could do and wanted to do, but like some select post-operative visits. So I have a nurse practitioner now, and the only way to get her to succeed and for me to succeed was to offload tasks to her that didn't specifically need me. And there's still some things that I wanted to do that I've offloaded to her. And, but I needed to, to be able to set myself up just that opportunity cost that you talk about. And then there's some things where, you know, I don't want to do, and and I'm glad to dump those off. Hallelujah. (laughs) I definitely like the idea of taking your tasks specifically and saying, what needs me specifically? What is high impact and, and easy to do? doing those things first, and then just really identifying with some clarity what our life looks like and how we can make it a little bit better. Yes, I love that approach. 
Perfect. Now, tell us a little bit about how you work with folks, because I know you've got a podcast. I know you've got a coaching program. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I have a podcast called the Mental Offload Podcast, where we talk about all things work, life, balance, family, how to make it all fit together in a way that doesn't feel like it's adding to our mental load. So if there are any of your listeners who are interested in that perspective on things, I really encourage them to come check out the Mental Offload podcast. And the other thing that I do is my one-on-one coaching practice. And people can come find out more about that by following me on Instagram. I am at mental underscore offload. And I talk a lot about same kind of stuff, work, life, balance, boundaries, how we get more of that CEO mindset without feeling like we have to do all the things. Right. And like rising the ranks by offloading things rather than adding things on. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, Shauna, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, such valuable information. I mean, this whole episode is just packed with such valuable information. So I'm so excited that you came on and thank you so much for, for offering all the things to you. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. It has been a pleasure. And I really hope that the work that we talk about here today is going to help so many of the people in your community to feel like they've got a better way of getting ahead. Exactly. It doesn't have to be so hard or so miserable. (laughs) It's achievable. And it maybe actually be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, Shauna. Thanks so much. Thanks, Amy. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.